0: Tonight is a little bit of an extension uh, from this morning's message, so you can kind of look at it as maybe the sequel. Uh, but we want start, to uh, start back in Galatians. We're going to spend most of our time there again this evening. We'll start with Galatians 2, verse 16 through 19. It says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to come tonight and just uh, share in your word, Lord. Uh, Lord, just be with me as, as I present what you would have me to say. and Let your words be heard and not mine. And uh, just help us to uh, just apply these, uh, uh, your words to our lives and just be bold for you. And Lord, we just thank you most of all again for sending your son to die for us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to spend some more time in the the letter, the Epistle to the Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, We spent some time this morning talking about the scenario where the gospel was under attack by some Pharisees, some believers, who wanted to add to the gospel. So they wanted to add, uh, have faith plus circumcision and the Jewish law and such. Uh, The majority of the letter is actually aimed at these attackers. However, about mid-chapter 2... Paul kind of takes a sidebar and brings up a little situation, an argument, not between him and the attackers, but between Paul and one of the other apostles, Peter. Now, when I first came across this, uh, this little sidebar, I thought, wow, this is kind of harsh of Paul. Paul. So he, he kind of brings up this argument that's already happened uh, with Peter. I thought uh, we, as, as Christians, were supposed to forgive and forget, right? So, but he's bringing up this uh, this argument, kind of airing uh, you know Peter's dirty laundry in front of not one but all of the churches of Galatia. So uh, it seemed, seemed a little odd, but I think. Once we go through this, we'll understand this a little better. I don't know if Paul asked Peter's permission. I doubt he did. Uh, But the principle in question here was more important than Peter's reputation. As we gain a better understanding of what happened, I think it becomes very apparent as to why Paul included this scandalous uh, confrontation between him and Peter. The gospel was on the line the gospel was uh, this morning we talked about the gospel being attacked tonight we're going to going to talk about it from from a different angle it was every bit as much on the line as it was with the pharisees and the judaizers when they were attacking it but it was in a different way the judaizers were attacking the gospel with their words and their teachings peter was inadvertently attacking the gospel with his actions Something that we do much more than we'd like to admit, so I want to spend some time this afternoon talking about Peter's actions, what they meant, Paul's reaction, why he reacted the way he did, and how that affects our actions in this day and this time. What can we learn from this heated encounter between two apostles? So let's set the scene here. Peter is an apostle of Christ. This is the same Peter Jesus called on the shore of Galilee, the same Peter that walked on water, the same Peter that was the first to recognize that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the same Peter that had the boldness or the stupidity to rebuke Jesus himself when he predicted his own death, the same Peter that sliced the guard's ear off when they came to arrest Jesus, the same Peter that was called the rock on which he would build his church. The same Peter that said he would never deny Christ, yet that very night he denied him three times. Here in Galatians, we're facing Peter's fourth recorded denial. Let's read. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. So here's what's happening. Eating together was a big deal in this time. They didn't have restaurants on every corner where people kind of just casually dined. Eating a meal together was a a commitment. It took uh, provision. It took preparing on the part of either one family or the two that were uh, gathered together. Uh, Both parties contributed. Uh, They would sit down together and acknowledge one another's contribution, and they implied by meeting together that they were on good terms. For the Jews, it was a little bit more complicated. They had certain rules, certain laws that they followed regarding their diet. There was common ground when Jews and Jews ate together. But when Jews and Gentiles ate together, the Jews would have to compromise some of their customs. Many Jews looked down on Gentiles and didn't want to have anything to do with them. They wouldn't be caught dead eating with a Gentile. Peter, being a Jew, fully understood these customs. However, Peter had made a habit of eating with the Gentiles. He was able to look beyond his Jewish customs and fellowship openly and unashamedly with his Gentile brethren, knowing that they had Jesus Christ in common. That is, until his Jewish brethren came to town. When these visitors from Jerusalem walked in, Peter all of a sudden forgets who these Gentiles I don't want to hang out with these Gentiles anymore. What if they see me? He completely shuns them. He gives them the cold shoulder. But that's not all that happened. Galatians 2, verse 13, he says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter is an outspoken, well-known, one of the poster boys, if you will, of Christianity at this point. Paul refers to him earlier in the book of Galatia that he is a pillar of the faith. He's a natural leader. Perhaps that's why Jesus chose him in the first place, or one of the reasons, Everyone knows who Peter is. everyone looks up to him and he's revered. Many look to him as an example. So it was no surprise when many followed suit and shunned the Gentiles as well. Paul says, with a note of surprise in his tone, "Even Barnabas, this guy that had went with him on many missionary trips, many missionary journeys before, was also sucked into all of this. Well why would Peter do this? He knew he knew better. Why would he do it? Let's go on to verse 12. For before certain men came, or go back to verse 12, rather. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Peter was afraid. But Peter outspoken, larger than life, I'm going to slice off your ear for trying to arrest Jesus, that guy, so he's afraid? Look, Peter was a man of God. He had been redeemed just like the other Jews and Gentiles. He fully understood the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. He did not believe in any way that works contributed to salvation. He was not... He would not and was not going to teach justification by works as the Pharisees were. But these were his people too. These were the Jews. Just like him, they had a common heritage. They understood each other on a level that the Gentiles couldn't. Now Peter's upbringing as a fisherman may have been a little bit different than the upbringing of the Pharisees, no doubt. And maybe on some level he was kind of enamored with their status. So Pharisees were like the cool kids of the day. They were at the top of the social ladder. Angering them created a social status risk. So rather than staying true to his convictions and doing what he knew was right, Peter caved to the pressure, hoping it would just blow over after these Jews returned to Jerusalem. But Peter's actions, although they were not in agreement with his convictions, caused many others to stumble. Even those who would... You would have suspected, expected to be very strong in the faith like Barnabas. And it didn't blow over. Any chance that there was for it to blow over, it was quickly interrupted by Paul. We look at verse 11, chapter two. Now when Peter had came to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. We skip down to 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Talk about an awkward moment. I bet you could have heard a pin drop In there, when Paul made this statement, I know Peter wasn't really one to uh, not have something to say or keep his mouth shut. Uh, He said plenty of things even when he didn't have anything good to say. Paul had called him out, though. He called him out in front of everyone. He tells him, Look, Peter, you've been living like a Gentile for a while now. Where do you get off telling the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, remember, Peter hasn't said a word. He's not teaching false doctrine. He's not instructing the Gentiles uh, how they must live like the Jews in order to be saved. He simply ate somewhere else when the Judaizers, these Pharisees, came to town. So what's the big deal? Why is Paul so upset here? What harm is there in just letting this all blow over? Just, uh, you know, get back to eating when the Gentiles, and, uh, when, the Gentiles when the Judaizers leave, Peter was just trying to keep the peace, right? It's what we would do most of the time. To help us understand this, why this is such a big deal, I want to look at why Paul approached Peter the way he did and what exactly he told him. First, he went straight to the source. He didn't gather a group of people in a private meeting or form a committee to discuss Peter's behavior or decide how to address it. He didn't poll the Gentiles and see how they felt about Peter's actions on a scale of 1 to 10 How offended were you with what Peter did? An eight? Okay, cool, we need to talk to him. That's not what happened. He withstood him face to face. Now, Jesus tells in Matthew 18, verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, wait a minute. Jesus tells us to take our brother alone. This definitely was not alone. If we read a bit further, Jesus says, But if we will not hear, if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. It might seem to us that Paul skipped a couple of steps, Right? But let's keep a few things in mind. Paul isn't bringing Peter's offenses before the church to the church for some ruling on his behavior. Paul knew Peter was in the wrong. He is addressing the issue directly with Peter. He is just doing it in front of the whole church at Antioch. And it's not like he doesn't know that the rest of the church can hear him. He's not in this fit of rage and he's just oblivious to anyone that's around him. He wants them to hear it. Paul wants the entire church to hear what Peter did and why it's such a big deal. See, Peter was a leader in the church. People followed his example. They believed what he had to say, whether in word or in action. By his actions, Peter made a public statement that Jews were better than Gentiles. Paul needed to make a public statement that Peter was wrong. He needed to make it clear that Peter's actions were not okay. So so I get it. This, uh, This was not a nice thing to do, but why the explosion on Paul's part? Why not say, Peter, you know, it wasn't very nice of you to not want to sit with the Gentiles. Why don't you apologize? It's kind of rude. We could all kind of, you know, get back to business. Everything will be fine that's probably how we would handle it right we want to avoid conflict anything we can do to keep from stirring anything up we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings it's just better to avoid that conflict altogether right no peter's action meant, went much deeper than simply choosing to sit at a different table or hurting someone's feelings We go to verse 15 and 16, it says, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul says, Peter, we're we're Jews, okay? We're we're, We're the same kind of people here. We grew up with the importance of the law being hammered into us every day, yet even we know that the law cannot save us. It never could. It never will. We are believers ourselves. We believed by faith. We are only justified by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. He says, Peter, you know better. Why are you doing this? He goes on in verse 17. And keep in mind, this conversation is still taking place in front of the whole church. You ever been a part of one of those conversations or heard one of those conversations where that that conversation is really meant for someone else? You know, I wish someone would stop popping their gum and flicking their hair in the middle of church. It's so distracting to me. Yet someone's standing right there, and you know they can hear you. Okay? Okay. Kind of the same things going on here. Paul knew the rest of the church could hear him. He was speaking directly to Peter, but he knew the rest of the church needed to hear this just as badly. Verse 17 and 18 says, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Paul gives them a little scenario. It's a what if statement. If I say I'm justified by Christ, but I'm dependent on my works as well, and I fail, which I will, does that make Christ a failure too? Of course it doesn't. He asks this ridiculous rhetorical question that they know the answer. He goes on to say, you are actually sinning by going back to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Faith destroyed the law. It became obsolete. Trying to build it back up was an affront to faith, an attack on the gospel. But Paul doesn't stop there. He finishes his heated conversation with Peter with a very heart-wrenching statement. Verse 19 says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul says, I don't know about you, but I got past this law stuff so I could give my life to God. I'm no longer a contributor to Christ's death. Now I'm a partaker in Christ's death. He loved me. He died for me. He rose again, and now he lives in me. How dare I toss out grace and replace it with my vain works? By doing so, I am saying Christ died for nothing. His death was meaningless. You see why Paul was so upset here. Not only is he dealing with the Judaizers running around spreading lies to all the churches, but now he's got Peter backing them up, not with his words, but with his actions. And we all know which ones are louder than the other, which ones people will pay attention to. You think the room was in complete silence at this point? You think anyone had anything to say? You think Paul got his point across? Surely he did. You think Peter heard him loud and clear? Surely he did. Now those of you who would like to know the rest of this story, you may be wondering if Paul and Peter ever made up. Doesn't tell us that. That part of the story is not recorded. But I have a pretty good idea they did. Later on in Acts 15... Paul and Peter stood together at the Jerusalem council and put this all to rest. In Second Peter 3, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you think Peter and Paul were okay. So why did God choose to include this interaction in Paul's letter? Let's consider a few things. This situation is one that we would normally try to avoid at all costs. Most of us hate confrontation, especially public confrontation. Even if we know it's the right thing to do, we look for any excuse to get out of it any excuse we can to not approach the issue head on. Well, why is that? Probably the same reasons Peter had. We worry about what others think of us. We might talk a good game. I don't care what others think of me. I'm on person. But yet we dress and talk and act certain ways in an effort to please others, to get people to accept us. Paul said a little earlier in his letter For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says, who am I trying to impress? Am I gauging all of my actions by whether I bring glory to God or by whether I bring glory to myself or others? Is my goal in life to be accepted By human beings. Paul's actions used to be very impressive to the Pharisees. I mean, he was at the top of the game. You know, he was hunting down Christians. He was killing them because they professed Jesus as Messiah. To the Pharisees, he was a hero. But Paul says, if I was still doing what men wanted me to do, there's no way I could serve Christ. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now this word mammon is sometimes translated as money, but it's more accurately translated as a love for things of this world. You simply can't be devoted to both. And you can't be devoted to neither. You must choose. By choosing one, you automatically deny the other. By denying one, you automatically choose the other. Peter tried to choose both, and it blew up in his face. It not only affected him and his witness, but others around him. As followers of Christ, others look to our example. Now, they should ultimately look to Christ, of course, but sometimes, especially new believers, look to us for guidance. They, think they, they see us as being mature and having maybe a better grip on this new Christian lifestyle and how it works. So they look to us as examples. It's important to understand that when we take our eyes off Jesus and begin to follow someone or something else, there's probably those who are following us as well. And they can get caught in that trap also. Our actions never affect only us. 1 Corinthians 8:9 says, But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Do we ever find ourselves in the same situation as Peter? We know the right thing to do, but give in to the pressure of the world. We don't even have to be worldly people to get caught in this trap. See, I grew up in church. I've told y'all this before. I was in church like nine months before I was born. Okay, I've been in church all my life. I know the typical personalities in churches, especially ABA Baptist churches. I know how some churches smell, I can recognize that. I, I just I'm this is home. I'm comfortable here. These are my people. But if I'm not careful, these become my people. And those people become those people. I don't want anything to do with them. I end up building a wall in between us. This partition, this dividing structure. And what is this structure built on? What's the only real difference between me and those people? It's grace. I've accepted the grace that's been extended to me, and they haven't. Now I somehow twist that fact into something that makes me superior. I don't want to associate with these sinners. I have a reputation to uphold. Sometimes we have this pressure just coming on us from the Christian community. that This is how we are. This is how they are. These people aren't like me. I need to disassociate myself from these people. This is exactly what Peter did, exactly what Paul got up in his face about and exactly what we do all the time, not even realizing that we're doing it. We're taking something that's meant to be a bridge and turning it into a wall. Grace is meant to bridge the divide between humanity and its creator, not become an obstacle between the two. When we use grace as a trophy to be displayed, We do just that. We become gracists. So yes, I made up a word. I couldn't find the word that wanted to say what I wanted to say, so I made up a word for this occasion. We're all familiar with racism, right? Especially if you grow up in the South, you've been exposed to it, seen it at some point. But I think we can all agree that feeling like you're superior to someone because of your heritage or because of our birth is evil and so far away from the Scriptures and what the Word of God says. How is thinking we are superior because of our rebirth any different? James two one says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to us all men. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. The gospel message has been made available to me. Jesus died for me, but I was not the only one on his mind when he hung on that cross. So were you and you and you and everyone else. All of humanity. Jesus paid the price for all of humanity. Well, lastly, maybe we think Paul overreacted. We could have, he could have handled it in a much more calm, collected way. There was no need to make a scene, right? We, we don't want to cause, you know, cause stir stir anything up. But yes, there was. The gospel was on the line. And if there was one thing that Paul did not tolerate, was an attack on the gospel. As we talked about this morning, an attack on the gospel was an attack on the author and sustainer of our hope, God himself. You want to stir up a hornet's nest, poke the bear? You let Paul find out that you're messing with the gospel. That was his hot button. So you think his words were harsh to Peter, let's back up a little bit into chapter 1. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what we have received, let him be accursed. How many times does he say it? Twice. Just for good measure. Just in case you missed it the first time. This word accursed means to be cut off. Paul says you want your salvation to be based on anything other than Christ and Christ alone, then I hope you get what you asked for was very harsh words on Paul's part, but Paul doesn't limit this curse just to others. He lumps himself in. Even if we, me, anybody else, here on earth or otherwise, angels from heaven, if you preach another gospel, may you be accursed. Paul took this very personally. Paul loved the gospel and loved the author of the gospel. He would stand up for it at any cost. 1 Corinthians 9.23, Paul writes, I did it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. The gospel was precious to Paul. Everything he did revolved around the gospel. He held it in the highest esteem and would defend it with his life. What if the gospel was the context for everything we did in our lives? What if the gospel was just as important to us as it was to Paul? If only we were angered when someone challenges, perverts, or tries to tear down the gospel. So what you're telling me is that when someone messes with the gospel message, I should be angry. Yes. I'm not telling you to sin, but I'm telling you, you should be upset. In Ephesians, Paul says to be angry, but do not sin. Further on in that same chapter, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. That is that it may impart grace to the hearers. Attacks on the gospel by word or action should have an effect on us. If someone says something bad about your family, you get mad about it, right? You stand up and you want to protect them. Some of us get mad if somebody says something bad about our dog. And we want to stand up and protect them. Why do we not get upset when someone attacks the very source of our life, our salvation? By attacking the gospel, they are attacking the author of the gospel. Intentional or unintentional, we should stand up and say something. Don't be a jerk about it, okay? But in love and all seriousness... Stand up for the gospel. In closing tonight, I'll say this. We get upset about a lot of things that really don't matter. We speak up about a lot of things that really don't matter. We're so quick to go to blows over something that simply makes us uncomfortable Maybe it's even not necessarily for the worst. Maybe it's just something we're not accustomed to. But we're so quick to stand up for it. Maybe we think something's not fair. Maybe we think we've been slighted in on some way. We didn't get something that we were due. We're so quick to speak up about things in this life that mean so much to us. But we hesitate to speak up for the one thing that means everything not only to us, but to the world. We live in a lost, sick, and dying world. We have the cure. We have the antidote. If you see somebody headed towards that lab to mess with that antidote, are you just going to stand there and watch and not say anything? Of course not. And I pray we don't. I pray we will have the boldness to stand up for the gospel, the very source of our life. Let's pray with me tonight.